Awesome. We're going to start in on uh, or continue our series. We did a little series here on forgiveness, uh, talking about being forgiven and talking about forgiving others. I haven't gotten to the forgiving others part, but uh, we're going to continue talking about what we left off last week. We talked about God's forgiveness and how we are 100% forgiven. And uh, of course, this brings up a question, which I was actually thinking about right during my message last week, and a few of you actually asked us. If we are actually really forgiven, then how does that work when it comes to Judgment Day? I mean, does God bring up all our sins again? I thought they were forgiven. How does that work? And we're going to talk about that today. But just a bit of a review. Um, I mean, as Christians, again, we, we know often that we are forgiven. But a lot of times we actually don't live that way uh, in the way we live in this world. I mean, you really are forgiven. You should be able to, to breathe deep and feel no guilt and no shame no condemnation. You should be able to picture yourself walking into God's very throne room, uh, unafraid, with confidence, the Bible says, because God sees you through eyes of peace. Because of what Jesus has done, he sees you as righteous, as holy, as forgiven, as pure. And, uh, and that is hard to get down into our hearts. And so we talked about that last week. We just looked at various verses like Psalm 103, where it talks about how he has removed our sins. As far as the east is from the west, and you can go to the east for a million years and still go east. You can go west for a million years, and you can still keep going that way. You went around and around. Again, didn't say to the north and the south, because you could end up at the North Pole and the South Pole, and you could find your junk. Uh, it's gone. He, he's removed it from you. Uh, and we talked about how in his ability to do all things that, that God actually forgets our sin. He doesn't just forgive it, but uh, multiple times he says he actually forgets it. And you can't do that, I can't do that, I don't forget your sin, you probably don't forget my sin, we, we hold on to that, but, but God has the ability to actually forgive and to forget. And uh, Hebrews eight twelve says, I will remember their sins no more. And Hebrews ten seventeen says, I will never, he emphasizes it, I will never again remember their sins. And Isaiah talks, where he says, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake, and will never think of them again. So he doesn't remember them. He's not going to think about them. And so when you picture yourself coming into the presence of God, you know, often we're going to think, oh, God's going to bring up that issue, what I, you know, all that sin I did last week or whatever. He's like, he's forgiven and he's forgotten it. He's put away. You are in his grace. We talked about the very definition of love. Uh, God's love in 1 Corinthians 13 talks about how his love keeps no record of wrong. And again, we often get, you know, God mixed up with Santa Claus. He's, you know, making a list and checking it twice. And, uh, and we think God's like that. And we think Judgment Day is going to be, you know, God bringing up all our sin. But he says he actually keeps no record of wrongs. Or Colossians chapter 2, it says he canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it on the cross. He's forgiven us and he's uh, forgotten our sin. And we ended off last week by just talking about the reality that there is no more condemnation and there is no shame coming from God. And if you're feeling shame, if you're feeling condemnation, you just know it's not from the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. It's, you know, sometimes God will convict us, but there's no shame or condemnation coming. And so we know if we're feeling shame or feeling sh condemnation that it's either from ourselves or it's from the enemy or perhaps from the voices of others around us. And so... Uh, we are forgiven, and the good news is 
You can breathe a sigh of relief. You are forgiven through Jesus. Now I'm going to bring up one question that comes out of this, and, and that is, I mean, if we're really forgiven, and we talked about how we're forgiven past, present, future, because, you know, Jesus only died once. He doesn't have to come again tomorrow to die for your sins tomorrow, is, is why should we confess sin if it's already forgiven? And, uh, and, and I mean, this verse talks about confessing sin. Like 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Sounds like maybe this verse is saying when we confess, then it's only after our confession that God forgives us. Uh, but the reality is nobody really takes this fully literally because then you would have to confess every single one of your sins to be forgiven. And what about all those sins that we, we didn't even know we committed? We missed those. Does that mean we're not forgiven for those? I mean, I mean, does this mean we have to confess every single one of our sins in order to be forgiven? And if you think that way, uh, you will actually end up the way, you know, good old Martin Luther did, you know, 450 years ago uh, when, uh, you know, he was in the Roman Catholic tradition at that time and, and, uh, and he thought that he had to confess every single one of his sins in order to be right with God. And it actually says that he would spend up to six hours every day in confession. Six hours every single day confessing his sin because he just wanted to be right with God. In fact, he was quoted as saying at this time, he says, If I could believe that God was not angry with me, I would stand on my head for joy. I mean, he felt that God was always angry with him because of his sin. He had to constantly confess his sin in order to be forgiven, in order to be right with God. But as soon as he confessed one sin, he had another sinful, sinful thought. And so he would just stay forever in the confessional. And his, his monk buddies thought he was just trying to get out of work. Uh, and maybe he was, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but the reality is, um, we don't confess sin in order to receive forgiveness from God. We confess it more out of relationship. Because in Jesus, we are forgiven. And the Bible says that we have peace with God through the work of Jesus. And so we confess more out of relationship. And maybe, I mean, this example might help is, um, you know, let's say my wife, Marie, uh, was really busy one day and, you know, I made a disaster of the kitchen trying to cook something. And she said, hey, can you clean up the kitchen? You know, because I got a busy day. And I said, sure, I'll clean up the kitchen. And, you know, I get distracted and I start making more food and more dishes. And then I get busy and I said, I don't clean up the kitchen. And she comes home and she says, you don't clean up the kitchen. I'm like, I know. You know, I know because we have a love relationship, and I know my wife that, 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 that she, I, I mean, she's going to forgive me. I don't have to ask for forgiveness. She's going to forgive me because that's what people in love do. They forgive each other. But out of relationship and out of that connection, you know, it's good for me to say, you know, I'm really sorry. I totally messed up. I should have forgiven. I should have cleaned the kitchen, but I didn't. I mean, some sort of asking forgiveness is a good thing. And the same with God. I mean, we are forgiven. Past, present, future. We are righteous in God's sight, but out of our relationship, acknowledging when we've made a mistake, when we haven't been loving, is a good thing. And the other idea, in the Protestant tradition at least, of confessing our sin is just to acknowledge that we have not been walking in love, to acknowledge that we've made a mistake, and to ask God for help. You know, God, I really didn't love that person well today. You know, I confessed my sin, and I know I'm forgiven, but God, would you help me? And so it's acknowledging, uh, it's more of acknowledgement and more of a relationship rather than actually the process of forgiveness. Now, in the Roman Catholic tradition, they still hold to, at least when it comes to mortal sins, that is like really serious sins, they say you still have to go to confessional to actually receive, you know, that complete forgiveness of God. And so, depending on tradition, but in the Protestant tradition, uh, we're forgiven. Confession 
doesn't bring extra forgiveness, but is more out of relationship. Now, the main question we're going to look at today is, if God has forgiven and forgotten my sin, what about Judgment Day? Is He going to bring it up again? I mean, if He's really forgiven us and forgotten our sin, then what about Judgment Day? Because isn't He going to bring up all our sin again and we have to give an account for everything we've done, you know, good and bad? The answer to that question is, depends who you're asking. Uh, like pretty much everything in Christianity, <laughs> there are a lot of different opinions and different theological perspectives of the answer to this question. And we're going to sort of look at sort of four main perspectives of answers you might get in Christianity. Because the reality is, like a lot of things, the Bible isn't super clear. And sometimes the Bible is actually quite complicated, depending on what verse you're looking at. I mean, for example, we can look at John chapter 5, where Jesus said this. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And he says, will not be judged. So if you believe in Jesus... Jesus says, you're not going to be judged. But then Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So is it Jesus or is it Paul or do they work together somehow? How does that work? Or what about Hebrews 10, which we've been looking at, where it says, I will never again remember their sins. So how could God kind of bring it up again if he's forgiven? That's kind of weird because if you know, I forgave you for something and, you know, a year later brought it all up again. You say, well, that's not really forgiveness. Again, it's kind of complicated. That's why we have different theological perspectives. Like many things in Christianity, it depends on which verse you highlight, which other ones you kind of make maybe more figurative. And that's kind of how it works. And so within Christianity, there are sort of four sort of major views. And the first one is this. There is a view out there that says every single sin will be brought up. Now, God does forgive you but just kind of here, but he's all going to bring it up again. So it's sort of, you know, more temporary forgiveness, or it's he's forgiven you only in the sense that, that you are going to heaven, but all the stuff you've done, at least as a Christian, is going to be brought up. And so this view would highlight maybe Romans 14.10, where it says we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, and, and God's going to, you know, he's going to repay everybody for all the wrong that they've done. Uh, this will be a popular verse though they take it out of context, which says, uh, what you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftop. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about Judgment Day, but people will use this verse and say, you know, every single thought, every single word that you've said that was not in line with God is going to be brought up in Judgment Day, and you're going to have to give an account, and however that works, you're going to be judged for all the sins you've ever committed. And so uh, this view would highlight maybe these and would make figurative the other verses on forgiveness. Now, my opinion is this really just comes a more out of a fear-based view uh, because fear has a lot of power. And if you're a pastor like me who wants to build a big church and a big organization, fear is the most brilliant way to do that. If you tell people, you know, you are going to face judgment day if you don't tithe. You know, you're going to face judgment day if you don't serve in the church. And if you don't do all these things, judgment is coming so you better you know build my organization or you better you better do hard and you better do all these things and what that creates is maybe it's helpful to create an organization maybe it's helpful to control people but it creates a very superficial christianity because everybody starts to hide because you have to pretend that you're doing really well you better not be vulnerable within your sins because that person christian over there is going to think less of you and, and then it's going to come up on judgment day and it, it just sets everything off on 
the wrong track. But that is a view out there. You'll find this view in sort of very fundamentalistic circles. Uh, this view that God's going to bring every sin up, and it's often used as a threat or a way to kind of control others. The second view is this. This would be more popular sort of in general evangelicalism, and that is, or at least more reformed evangelicalism anyways, um, that your sins will be remembered, but remembered as forgiven. And they would maybe look to a verse like Rome, Revelation 20, uh, talking about Judgment Day. It says, I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne. And books, plural, were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And so they will say that a God, you know, where it says he keeps no records of wrong, well, actually he does. He does have a book of all the things we've done, good or bad. He keeps a big record of all the things we've done, bad things, good things. And then he's got another book called the book of life. And so when we're standing before the throne... God has books, and so he will open up the book with all the things we've done, both good and bad, and I don't know if you'll read them out, but somehow he's going to let everybody know about all the things we've done, so our sins will be brought up, but then he'll say, but all these are covered, and so then he'll turn, it says, and then, then another book was opened, so he goes from bringing up all the things we've done, good or bad, he goes to the book of life, and says, these have all been forgiven, they are washed away in Jesus, so this you would say, God's going to bring up your stuff, but it's going to be brought up as forgiven and cleansed and washed away. Uh, one theologian puts it this way from this view. He says, the failures and shortcomings of believers will enter into the picture on the day of judgment. But, and this is an important point, the sins and shortcomings of believers will be revealed in the judgment as forgiven sins, whose guilt has totally been covered by the blood of Jesus. And so this view would take a passage like Hebrews 10, where it says, I will never again remember their sins. And they say, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit more figurative in terms of it's going to be, they're going to be remembered, but remembered as forgiven. And so it's kind of maybe a more balanced view. And so this is often re uh, found in sort of more reformed circles of Christianity. Another view found in popular kind of evangelicalism is view number three, which says judgment day is not about God judging us for bad things. It is actually kind of like a big reward ceremony. And uh, they will, you know, highlight a verse like Matthew 16, where it says, The Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. So they would say this is, this is about rewards, not about punishment or remembering all the bad things you've done. It's, you know, like graduation day or, you know, like the Olympics when all the rewards are handed out. Uh, this is a kind of a favorite passage for this view, Ephesians 3. It says, no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewel, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. And so it's like everything we've ever done as a Christian is going to be tested by fire and all those things that are not good, they're kind of burnt up because they're forgiven. But all those good things are, are left. Judgment Day is about handing out rewards because, you know, Jesus talks about rewards. We don't know what they are. Uh, but somehow there's sort of these rewards. Some people think they're cities and the new earth or whatever. Uh, but he's going to be handing out some sort of rewards, and that's what Judgment Day is. So it's not a scary day. It's like, let's see what 
reward I get. That's more of the idea. Uh, this passage will note something that is good to note. Uh, like when it says in Romans 14, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, or 2 Corinthians 5.10, where it says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Again, this view says all the bad is burnt because it's forgiven, and the good is rewarded. They will note that this word judgment seat is actually in the Greek the word bima. And all that word means is a raised platform for speaking, making announcements, judging, or rewarding. And so they would challenge this translation, uh, which is in many of our English translations, and say that is saying that this word means this one thing when it can actually mean many different things. It can re mean reward seat. It can be, it's just a platform where you talk. Uh, like this would be a bima. And so they would say, you know, why did the translation put in judgment seat when it's just a place where you can make announcements or rewards? It could be judged. But for instance, this exact same word is used in Acts chapter 12. They don't translate it judgment seat. They, it's translated, on the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took a seat upon the throne, again, a raised platform, and delivered an, or an or oration to them. And so they would say that this should be translated more in terms of rewards because that's what Christians look forward to and not judgment seat. And it's helpful to know because sometimes when you read in your English translation, there's a whole lot more going on <laughs> than sometimes we read because translators have to do some sort of interpretation when they're translating it from the Greek. Because, again, the Greek word can mean lots of different things, and sometimes you choose this word. And sometimes, you know, a hundred years ago they, changed, they chose this word, but they can't change it now because if they change it, Christians freak out. And there's been lots of cases of that, especially like... From the King James Version to the modern versions, there's like 16 verses in the modern verses, translations that are not there but are in the King James. And I tell you, people freak out about, see, people are taking things out of the Bible or they're watering down God. Or, you know, if you take away the judgment, they're like, see, you're making God, you're taking away the judgment day. And so sometimes people have to stick with certain words in translations. I mean, another example we've talked about before is this one because it changes our view of God, how translators do it. Like Romans chapter 9 where it says, we have now been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So the, the English translations, at least some of them, make it seem like God is full of wrath and Jesus saved us from dad. You know, you know, Father God's ready to have wrath on us and Jesus steps in and says, no, dad, I'll die for you. So we're saved from God's wrath. But the Greek word actually just means the wrath. That's why the early church saw the wrath not as God's wrath, but they saw it as the wrath of the enemy. This is, this is the wrath of Satan or the wrath of the broken world, not God's wrath. But sometimes our English translations can get us off track and will kind of push us towards one interpretation when maybe there's actually others. And so this view would challenge this idea of the word bima being translated as judgment seat. The last view is view number four. And uh, personally, I kind of lean to this view, but... Uh, this is the idea of final salvation, that Judgment Day is about final salvation. It's about being finally cured, made whole, and all the brokenness and trauma being removed out of our life. And the sense is that it's all our, the stuff that we haven't worked through in this life is, is judged in the sense that it's removed from us. And only the good and the loving remains. And this verse would, uh, view would highlight some of the things we highlight. I mean, my sermon last week technically sort of came from this view. That love, God's love, it keeps no record of wrongs. Or, I will never again remember their sins. 
Or uh, John chapter 4 where Jesus says, Whoever hears, hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death or life. So this view says judgment day is not about being judged for our sin because he actually did forgive us and he doesn't keep a record of wrongs and he has removed it from us. We have peace with God. Hebrews chapter 9, where it says, So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly waiting, are waiting for him. And so some of the other views are that Jesus is coming back, and then he is coming back to deal with all of our sins because we have to face him on judgment day. This view would say Jesus is coming back, and as this says, he's not coming to deal with our sin. He already dealt with that been forgiven, it's forgotten, he keeps no record of wrong, but he's coming again to bring salvation, which is the idea of final salvation. The redemption of our bodies, the removal of all the brokenness inside of us. Translation of judgment seat, and it says that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, what is good or bad. What is due to us? Well, because of Jesus, he died for us. What's due? What are we all waiting for? final salvation. That's what's due for us. Again, we're the, we're the, the, the broken, the bad, if you will, the, the brokenness and trauma in our life. God finally purified being judged. Uh, this view would, would focus in on this text as an example. Talking about Jesus. It says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So all of us here are trying to grow, hopefully, we're trying to do better in our relationships. We're trying to become more loving. We're trying to work through our brokenness. We're trying to work through the trauma we've experienced. But we know we're never going to be perfect here. Some of us might get further than others. Some of us get, might go from a minus 50 to a 1. Some of us go to a minus 20 to, to 6 or whatever. But never going to get perfect. And so we all have some brokenness or trauma or things that aren't in line with love. And so when we die and we face God on whatever you call judgment day, his light and love is going to shine upon us. And anything that is dark in us, it's just going to be immediately removed by the light. And some people think this will happen in an instant when we stand before God, that all of that brokenness and stuff we haven't worked through, the, you know, the struggle, it just is going to disappear. He's not coming again to deal with sin, but to bring this final salvation where we actually finally purified and made whole and to be who we were actually meant to be. That that is what Judgment Day is about. Uh, this week we'll talk a lot about the idea of justice and how sometimes we get stuck, especially when it comes to Judgment Day, that we put God in a box that, you know, Jesus actually challenges us to get out of. In Matthew 5, it says, you have heard, this is what Jesus said, heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. A lot of Christian tra uh, traditions actually think that's what Judgment Day, that is God is an eye for an eye. He's a tooth for a tooth. You've done that. It's coming up on Judgment Day. You hurt this person. I'm going to get you for it. Right? You're going to be punished for it. It's an eye for an eye. It's this, this idea that Jesus says, no, no, God's actually not like that. So somehow we've made it out to say God is like that, at least on Judgment Day. But, but what is God like? Uh, in Matthew 5, verse 48, it says, You are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. And 
You notice the word but, which is like, it's, it's part of this thought that Jesus was saying. So you're context, and this is what Jesus says. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, or like, again, this is what God is like, do not resist in the evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. To those who ask, and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting, and here it is, as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love only those who love you, what reward is that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven. This is a revelation of, of who God is. And this is a revelation of who God is even on Judgment Day. That, that, that He is kind to the enemies, if you will. That, and part of this has to do with the idea of justice, which always comes in this conversation of the views of, of God's judgment, is, is there's two different kinds of justice. There is punitive justice and there's restorative justice. I mean, there is uh, the kind of justice where you stand before, and often our view of God's judgment day is like this. We stand and God's like with the gavel. He's like a judge and you've committed these crimes and so here's your punishment. And you're going to prison for 10 years or whatever it is. That is punitive justice. There's a lot of talk these days and throughout all history, like uh, Native Americans have done restorative justice for, for centuries where it's about not about how can we punish you, but how can we restore you? That actually, what is more godlike? Is it punitive justice or restorative justice? And many Christians argue that the more loving kind of justice that God brings is always restorative justice. The justice where He's lifting out, where He's removing the darkness, He's setting us free. Because most of the stupid things we do comes from our own brokenness and trauma. And and should we be punished for those, or should we be restored from those things? And so this view would kind of take in this idea that God's justice is restorative, that it's kind, that it's loving, and that ultimately that judgment day is going to be just God's light peering into the darkness of our soul and all of that brokenness being removed, that he's going to finally actually restore us, that it is the completing of our salvation. I mean, this is what we see in 1 Corinthians 15. And this would be a view of judgment day, if you will, from this perspective. It says, our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. Our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. Our dying bodies must be transformed, and this is what happens on Judgment Day. It's the final salvation must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And, uh, and it just becomes a beautiful picture of, of this, this day when actually everything will be good. I don't know if you're looking forward to that because sometimes life really sucks here. <laughs> and it's hard and, and you're struggling to get through your work and your job and health issues. And, you know, people die and get hurt. I mean, life can be very difficult here, but there's coming a day when you stand before God. Well, he's going to make everything right. 
And he's going to appear. His love and light is going to enter your being. And you're going to be transformed. And every bit of darkness, every bit of brokenness, every bit of trauma that you have not been able to work through is going to be cleansed. And you'll be transformed into this person who's actually, for the first time in your life, completely, 100% whole. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that. That will feel amazing. And, uh, and John talks about this. Again, we, as Jesus followers, should have no fear of Judgment Day. Because, at least my opinion, and depending on what verses you focus on, it, it's not about punishment. It is about being transformed into something beautiful and amazing. And, and I just want to end with this text because, again, this is a Judgment Day text, but it is, it is, it is beautiful about looking forward to it with joy and hope and, and excitement because it's the final working of our salvation. It says, we know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in His love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. And then He, and then he says, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. That says something right there. We should not be afraid of judgment because we can face Him with confidence. Because we live like Jesus here in this world. And we're trying to love people just like Jesus was loving people. Uh, such love has no fear because perfect love that he is love, it just removes the fear, removes the fear of judgment day. Because you know, you're running into the arms of a loving father. He says, if we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. Meaning that you're not supposed to be afraid of his punishment because you're living his love and you're forgiven and, and God has cleansed you. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. And it just goes back to experiencing the perfect love of God, understanding who he is and his character and that he so loves you and he doesn't always just, just love you, he likes you a lot. And, uh, and he's just excited just as we are excited for that day when we are finally be transformed and everything that doesn't align with his love in us is just going to be moved out of the way by his love and light until we are finally free and finally completely 100% whole. And I wish that would happen today. That would be great. I guess that's it. Father, we thank you. We look forward to this day. Father, we look forward to this day when finally all the toil and the struggling and the battles have issues remove everything in us that is broken God everything that we've been battling to work through and going to counseling and going to prayer for that God those things you're just going to just in an instant with your love and light going to remove the darkness and so God we look forward to judgment day we look forward to final salvation we look forward to the renewing of our bodies God, we look forward to walking with you in deeper ways. God, we thank you that you are good. And we thank you that for your son, Jesus, we are 100% forgiven. There is no condemnation. There is no shame coming for you that we can allow your love to transform our hearts so that we can walk more and more in line with you. In Jesus' name, amen.